Good morning. Happy New Year, 2019. Who's excited for this year? Oh, a few of you, that's good. I, I am excited for this year. Um, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Andrew Gould. Uh, my family and I have been coming to this church for 11 years. I checked up uh, with my dear wife. So there's my wife there, Linnea. She's one of the elders here at church, so I'll make sure I'm a good boy in what I say this morning. Um, and those are our three children. Edison was playing the keyboard. He is off to university next year to do a music and engineering degree in Auckland. So Lanier and I, we've succeeded to get our first child through and uh, gone. And he's just, yeah, so we're very excited by Edison uh, moving on. Uh, two to go. Uh, two to go. Hadley is 15 and Jacina 12. So we love our kids. Uh, it is great to see them growing up. Um, the other part of my life that uh, some of you may not know is that I deal uh, with dairy cows. Well, I mostly deal with dairy farmers, uh, but I just talk cows most of my life. When I'm not here at church, I'm usually thinking or dreaming or talking to farmers about cows. So I'm a dairy farm business consultant uh, in New Zealand. Uh, so I work mostly in the Waikato with dairy farmers. Uh, we have our own company that we set up 18 years ago. And uh, so I've worked with dairy farmers on a one-to-one -one basis, um, some of them over that whole 18 years, and it's just a joy to be part of their uh, families, really, and part of their businesses, uh, helping them uh, keep trying to reach their goals. Uh, the other part of my uh, farming enterprise is that we um, have some dairy farm interests in Australia. So I'm managing director of uh, four dairy farms in Australia, and so around about one week every six weeks, I spend over in Australia trying to keep uh, cows alive and working well and staff happy and, and all that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, so I'm known for my cows um, and that's because that's what I spend most of my time thinking about. But it's a real privilege to be here with you this morning um, and to share on this first Sunday of 2019. And what I want to do this morning, if it's okay, is I want to share with you my New Year's resolution. Is that all right? I'll try not to bore you, um, but I, I just want to share with you because I think I've heard that if you share your New Year's resolutions, they're more likely to succeed, right? Because you've got more people there. Ooh, they've all, I've just told a thousand people what I'm doing. So, um, so that's part of my reason for sharing. Um, the other thing about this New Year's resolution, for me, that's different. I've had other New Year's resolutions like lose weight, uh, get fitter, and a number of other ones that have come out of guilt. Whereas this New Year's resolution hasn't come out of guilt. It's come out of a desire just to try and, and be um, better. So this is my New Year's resolution. I want to worship God 360. All right, now this New Year's resolution, I came up with this one and I thought, there's 360 days left of this year from today. So I want to worship God 360. I want to worship God every day for the rest of 2019. How's that? Is that a good New Year's resolution? Now when I asked my wife about that 360, she had a better idea, actually, of what the 360 meant, of the 360 of a circle. And that is even better than my 360 days, to be honest, although it's quite cool that they both work today. I want to worship God for my whole life. For 360 degrees of my life, I want to worship God this week, uh, this year. All right, so that's my New Year's resolution. Now, I've put it here on some cups because I want to use the cup as a bit of a symbol that will help me uh, remember this goal every day. Now, in my job as a farm consultant, I do have a number of coffees throughout the day. So the cup for me is an important reminder that I'll get three or four or five or six or seven times in a day 
And so I'm going to get reminded about this New Year's resolution regularly throughout the day. So I want to use the cup as a reminder for this New Year's resolution. Uh, this has come out of um, a talk that I did uh, last year on Father's Day at Night Church here. So if you came to that service, I'm a bit sorry, you're going to get a bit of a repeat, but Craig did ask me to do it, so I'm just not repeating it exactly the same. But if you were there, um, it might be a bit different. Well, it will be a bit different, but still, that's what it was based on. And the topic then was worshipping God in my work, in my sports team and groceries. And again, talking about how do we worship God in our whole life. Not just on Sunday, not just in our quiet times, not just when we're singing, but worshipping God through 60 degrees of our life and everything we do. A Bible verse that we probably, a lot of us will know, is this one. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as though you are working for the Lord and not for people. And a big part of that verse is whatever you do. It doesn't matter what we're doing. It doesn't matter what job we're in. It doesn't matter what sports we play. It doesn't matter which supermarket we shop at. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart. And there's numerous verses throughout the Bible that talk about a whole life being about worshipping God. And so hopefully this morning we won't have a barrier of thinking, ah, oh, well, I'm a policeman and it's pretty hard to worship God as a policeman. It's pretty hard to worship God as a farm consultant. It's pretty hard to worship God as a pharmacist. But we can see whatever you do, uh, we do it with all of our hearts. I love the quote from Martin Luther that said, a dairy maid can milk cows to the glory of God. So even when I'm milking cows in Australia, I can do that to the glory of God and I can worship God while milking cows. There's nothing we can do. There's no work that we do. There's no sports we play. There's nothing we can do in life where we can't do it for the glory of God. Right, to look at uh, the Bible this morning, I've got this uh, passage from 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 to 8, and I'd love to read it to you. Um, the Word of God just speaks for itself, so let's read it through and you can follow it with me. This is Paul and Timothy and Silas writing to the church of Thessalonians. And again, in this situation, which I love, is that the Thessalonians are doing things really well. So Paul and Timothy and Silas aren't trying to guilt them into change. In fact, they're recommending them for the way they're doing things, but they're trying to spur them on uh, to do even more. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this institution, instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have already been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. I've, I've titled that Living to Worship God. This is just real practical ways that Paul and Timothy and Silas have, have encouraged the people of Thessalonia to uh, live their life to worship God. And so 
what I've done here is to, in the, trying to create a picture of this cup. You can see that picture up there of a nice, full, beautiful cup of coffee. Like, I look at that cup and I just see a nice, beautiful cup of coffee. Now, whatever, you guys might not drink coffee, you might drink tea or uh, you might drink Coke. So whatever it is, you just picture that cup that you just love and full to the top, nothing worse than a cup of coffee that's, you know, three quarters to the top. It's just got to be that brimming top. So you just think about the nice, full cup of coffee. And that's what we're picturing. If I'm going to live my life 360, uh, worshipping God, then that's going to have a nice, full cup there. All right, so let's have a look at a couple of these verses. Now, as I read these through, I'd like you guys all to say out nice and loudly the words that are underlined when I read them through. You all right? You good with that? You all right to speak while you're sitting there? Andrew, you all right with that? Yeah, good man. It is God's will that you should be that you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now, for me, I always really struggled with this God's will that I should be sanctified, because I just always thought, uh-huh, I cannot be sanctified. I cannot be holy. God is holy. I I can't do that. That's not something I can do. And then when I've looked further at this, and if the words that are underlined there that you read through, in the Greek, the word there is hagiosmos. Hagiosmos. Now, what that word is talking about is not about a being holy. It is about a process of becoming holy. Okay, so this word used for holy, not when we see the Holy Spirit there, which is holy, but hagiosmos, those words we've underlined, is talking about a process. It is not about being sanctified. It is about being in the process of becoming sanctified and holy. And so that's such an important part of this word that we don't see um, in our English. And the other part about this word is that it talks about being uh, in the process of developing in a heart relationship with God. And so we talk a lot of it in our worship about our heart. We talk about worshiping God and we're in song. And, and for me, music is a way that I really connect heart to heart with God. I just love worshiping God through music. And for me, that is a way for my heart to really connect with God. Okay, And for other people, it'll be reading the scriptures. For other people, it might be walking around nature. But connecting heart to heart with God is such an important part of this word, hagiosmos. But the other part of the word of hagiosmos is about our life. And it's about developing a life that is holy. And so we're not just talking in this word about relationship, we're talking about in this word about our life and our character. And so when we talk about it is God's will that you be sanctified, the word here is telling me that I'm to be in a process of developing a heart relationship with God and to be in a process of developing a character that is more like God. So those two things, it's a process and it's heart and it's life. And so for me, the challenge that I've got for myself for this year is I want to develop depth. I want to develop depth in my character. I want to develop depth in my relationship with Jesus. And so I can be in this process of becoming more holy. Now, I've got the cup here, as we've talked about, and we've talked about the nice, nice full cup representing a life worshipping God 360. And so, you know, we talked about the depth of the cup and that we want to develop depth. Unfortunately for me, one of my biggest challenges is that I don't have the depth of a cup. 
And in fact, I've got more of the depth of a saucer. And as I try and fill up my worship to God, it is so limited by the depth of a saucer. And when I go to, when I go to work on a Monday, and my farmers say, well, what did you do on the weekend? Oh, nothing much. Oh, I just pressed that button, sorry. You'll have to wait for that noise. Nothing much. My answer I give is the depth of a saucer. What, um, what do you believe in the answers I give are the depth of a saucer? I really struggled. I, I really do struggle. I had my main man in Australia two months ago. You know, I was preparing for this talk, and two months ago he asked me this question, which you guys are all going to... Okay, I'm being open here. Andrew, what can you tell me about Jesus that I don't already know that will help convert me? Now, all of us who are good Christians would say we dream about that question, okay, because we're supposed to know the answer to that. And yet the crumbling and the mucking around and the shallowness of the answer as I tried quickly in my own strength to try and find an answer to that question. You know, the Bible talks about being prepared to give an answer, and yet I was not prepared to give the basic of questions that answer. I didn't have depth of a cup. I had depth of a saucer. When I played rugby, my parents brought me up relatively legalistic, but I think it was a good thing not to drink alcohol. And so when I played rugby and my teammates and coaches would ask, well, why don't you drink? I'd just go, ah, oh, religious reasons. Shallow. I could have said to them, well, I'm a Christian, and the Bible talks, tells us that we shouldn't get drunk. And for my personality, I don't want to have one beer because one beer is likely to lead to two. And for me... Not drinking alcohol is a clearer stand that I can make as a Christian against being drunk. Or I could have said, um, alcohol is just one of the most evil things in our country. Alcohol breaks up families. Alcohol destroys love. Alcohol beats up wives. Alcohol hurts children. Alcohol kills lives on our roads. I had a lot deeper reasons why alcohol wasn't part of my life. And yet, there's no depth, just shallow. What about when I go shopping? Do I just go shopping? Well, I'm a tightwad, as anyone who knows me will know, and so I buy cheap. But do I just buy cheap because I'm tight? Or do I buy cheap because I want to save every bit of money I can to give to God's work somewhere else? Is there any depth to my shopping of being cheap? Maybe... Uh, you're not cheap. Maybe you buy more expensive stuff, but you do it because you want to buy New Zealand made or you want to buy things that are made in a certain place. We can have depth in our work. We can have depth in our sports and we can have depth in our grocery shopping. Now, I'd love to show you this video of an American footballer who had depth of relationship with Jesus where he was portraying a verse under his eyes but then he felt compelled by God one day to change the verse. And to me, the, the depth of his relationship with God was that he was one willing to hear God's voice to change the verse. 
And then the second thing was his depth of character. He was willing to stand up against his coach and his teammates who might have think, thought, don't change anything when we're winning, but he was willing to have a stand uh, with his character to um, make a change. So let's listen to that. You know, there's been so many times in my life where I felt unworthy or unqualified, but God would just do something so cool in the midst of it. And one of those times was when I was a junior at the University of Florida and we we're getting ready to play Tennessee. And I see some of my teammates putting different eye blacks under their eyes and uh, they're putting like their mom's name or their area code under their eyes. And so I start to think, you know, I wonder if I could put something under my eyes that maybe could encourage someone or inspire someone. So. I was like, well, God bless, I don't know. And I was like, well, Philippians 4.13, I could do that. You know, I can do all things through Christ strengthens me. I was like, that would be, be good for a football player. So I put it under my eyes. We were blessed to win because it was Tennessee. And um, it really wasn't that big of a deal. After the game, a couple of local newspapers wrote about it, but it wasn't that big of a deal. But I kept wearing it under my eyes every single game. And as probably a lot of you know, Gator fans are very passionate. So four, five, six weeks later, they're selling it at the Gator bookstore, at the Florida library. You have thousands of fans showing up to games wearing Philippians 4.13 under their eyes. And I honestly believe half of them don't even know what it means. I had one guy, his name was Phil, come up to me and say, hey, did you wear that under your eyes for me? I was like, no, it's a Bible verse. <laughs> What are you talking about? And um, so we get to the SEC championship game at the end of the year, and we're getting ready to run out of the tunnel. And football is kind of one of those things where it's you have such tunnel vision. It's just one thing at a time, one thing at a time. And as I was getting ready to run out of the tunnel, I really felt like God was putting in my heart to change the verse. I was like, really, right now? And But I realized that if we won, we'd be playing a national championship on one of the biggest stages that I might ever get. And so that would be the right opportunity to change the verse. And so we were blessed to win that game in six weeks, the next six weeks leading up to the national championship, I was agonizing and really contemplating what verse I was going to go with. And God kept bringing it to my heart and my head, John 3.16, because it's the essence of our Christianity. It's the essence of our hope for God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. It's what gives us hope as Christians. So I decided to go with that. And so two days before the, the game, I went up to my parents' hotel room in Miami, Florida. And I was like, Mom, Dad, I've decided to change the verse, and I'm going to go with John 3.16. My mom's super sweet and supportive. Oh, that's great, honey. My dad's like, well, have you told Coach Meyer? Because <laughs> he says he just likes his routines, but that dude is so superstitious, it's ridiculous. So he's like, you really need to tell him. So we were right down the street at FAU practicing. We finished our last practice for a national championship. I said, hey, Coach Meyer, can I talk to you for a second? He's like, yeah, how you feeling? Your arm good, leg good? You ready for the game? I was like, yeah, I'm good. Um, you know the verse I wear in my eyes? He's like, yeah, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ strengthens me. I love it. I was like, well, I'm going to change that verse tomorrow night. What? What are you talking about? You can't change that verse. That verse got us here. <laughs> it didn't get us here. So after a couple minutes of explaining it to him, he totally was supportive and understood him. Honestly, after that, I didn't even really think about it. I just went out there and tried to win the championship game. We were blessed to win. And two days later, I was at Ballyhoo Restaurant in Gainesville, Florida with me, my mom, my dad, my aunt, and um, Coach Meyer. And probably some of you have been to Ballyhoo's. And I was just sitting there eating a grouper. And um, Coach Meyer gets a call. And he's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. All right, bye. And I was like, who is that? He said, that was Steve McLean. Here's our PR guy at Florida. So what do you have to say? He said, did you know that during that game, 94 million people Googled John 3.16? 
And honestly, my first thought was, how the heck do 94 million people not know John 316? <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Sunday school, it's like the first thing you hear, you know? But I was just sitting in Ballyhoo restaurant, just so humbled at how big that God is that we serve and how he wants to do amazing things in us and through us. And when we just step out and show a little faith or a little courage, or we just decide, hey, it's okay to be a little bit different than everybody else, what God can do in our lives. And that game just happened to be in 2009, January 8th. Well, exactly three years later, January 8th, 2012, we just happened to be playing the Pittsburgh Steelers and I never even thought about John 3.16 one time, so I can't take any credit for it. I just tried to go out there and win a playoff game, and we were blessed to win this crazy playoff game in overtime, and I run in and try to, you know, shower really quick and change, because I wanted to go celebrate with my family, so I'm going, running to go and do my press conference really quick, because I love talking to the media. <laughs> And uh, right before I walk into the press conference room, Patrick, our PR guy, jumps in front of me. He says, Timmy, do you realize what happened? I was like, yeah, we just beat the Steelers. We're going to play the Patriots. Like, let me do this. He's like, no, do you realize what happened? And I was like, I guess not. He said, Timmy, it's exactly three, three, not, three years from the night you wore John 316 under your eyes. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And he was like, no, you don't realize, during the game, you threw for 316 yards. Your yards per completion were 31.6. Your yards per rush were 3.16. The ratings for the night were 31.6, and the time of possession was 31.06. And during the game, 90 million people Google John 316, and it's the number one trending thing on every platform. I was just standing there in that hallway getting ready to do this press conference thinking that that night was about a football game. And it really wasn't because the God that we serve is such a big God. And standing in that hallway, I knew that it was something so much more because the God that we serve is a God of miracles as we're going to hear today. And it's a God that does pretty amazing things in us and through us. And I think we just have to be willing to step out and say, here you go, God, I'm going to give you my fish and, and my loaves of bread and watch what he does with them. But the God we serve can do pretty awesome, amazing things. Paul, who wrote uh, half the New Testament, uh, near the end of his life, wrote this line, I want to know Christ. And Paul understood that knowing Christ, that hagiosmos was a process and uh, a destination to get to, not a destination that we have here right now. And I just uh, pray for myself that as I get on this journey of in the process of trying to worship God more, uh, that I'll understand that it's a process and that it's a process to deepen my relationship with Jesus and to deepen uh, my character. And we can see, you know, as we said in those verses, God's Holy Spirit is in us. He takes any little thing that we've got the courageous uh, attitude or the willingness to put out there, uh, God's Holy Spirit can do amazing things from some little steps of process that we can take. All right, um, I've got to keep rolling. So the second part, uh, now remember to read your lines, your words. Now about your, for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to each other, and in fact you do all of God's family throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do... Nice. I almost took over. To worship God 360, I need to be united. And in these verses particularly, it's talking about being united 
and loving our fellow Christian brothers and sisters. And we all know that that sounds easy, and we all know how difficult that can be. The encouragement to love one another is right throughout the scriptures. And yet, without this love, uh, we cannot fully uh, worship God. We have this cup that we're trying to fill up, and yet it only takes one relationship, one break in the unity of our cup. And if we try and fill this cup up with worship, it will just keep leaking out. We cannot, I cannot give my full worship to God through 60 degrees when I've got relationships that are not right. We know in this verse in John, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this love, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Could you imagine what a united Christian workforce could do? Could you imagine what a united Christian politician workforce could do? Could you imagine what a united Christian police force could do? Could you imagine what a united Christian church workforce could do? Why is being united Christians so, so difficult? And yet it is just one of the most difficult things for us to do, for me to do. I love this verse here because it's easy to say love and yet we just simply know that we will not love everybody the way that we think of the word love. And yet this verse says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Folks, sometimes love comes about in being patient and gentle and bearing with one another. For me to have a united vision or feeling with our fellow Christians, I need to be more gentle and I need to be humble and I need to be patient and I need to bear with my fellow Christians more and more. In Hebrews here, it says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. And this is that same word, hagiosmos. So for us to be in this process, we need to live in peace with everybody. Folks, if I had one desire for this year, it would have it be a completely united Christian environment that I was part of. One of my biggest aims this year is to show more depth in my character and more depth in my relationship. But one of the key aims for me this year as I try and worship God 360 is to be united with my fellow Christians. I remember Sir Michael Jones, one of my most favourite people that's ever lived. You know, and the the wonderful attitude he showed in his rugby. We all loved his rugby, of course, he watched them. But you know, Michael Jones didn't play on Sundays and he stood out as a Christian who stood against playing on Sundays. And yet there were many, many other Christians who did play on Sundays. And yet there wasn't one ounce, not one ounce of disunity from Michael Jones to his fellow Christians who played on Sundays. There was a total unity that he showed. Even though his stance was completely different, there's no sign, and the media time and time again would try and get Michael Jones to diss his fellow Christians for not playing, or for playing on a Sunday when he chose not to. And you, you never got it. You saw a complete unity from Michael Jones. I loved the way that Michael Jones worshipped God through the unity he showed. 
and how we can be so critical of other Christians and how we shop. And I just know that for myself as a tight water, as you know, you know, it's something that I need to be very careful of when people buy things that I see as quite expensive, that I just don't judge them. It's so easy for me to judge other people's shopping habits because they're different to mine. To worship God through 60, we need depth and I need unity. All right, the last one, verses 11 and 12. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business. And just as we told you, so that your daily life may of outsiders. Folks, lead a quiet life doesn't mean to be quiet or silent. What it means is to mind your own business. And I think of that and I just think, I just need to mind my own business more. How many times do I get into other people's business? And I need to work with my hands. It means what's in front of me, I just need to get on and do the stuff that I can control. Not worry about what other people are doing that might annoy me or whatever. I get on with doing what the stuff I can control. And the point of this is to win the respect of outsiders. We're to live our lives. I'm to live my life so that I can win the respect of outsiders. So to worship God 360, I need to be respectable. Now, I remember being brought up to respect others, respect them, respect them. But I haven't heard a lot about being respectable. And yet to worship God 360, I need to be respectable. And I do that by minding my own business. And I love this verse, uh, Proverbs 25, 17. Seldom set your foot in the neighbor's house, in your neighbor's house, my neighbor's house. Too much of you, and they will intensely dislike you. <laughs> Good verse, eh? And we're doing this to win the respect of other people. Now, in my, um, the same manager that's in Australia, so in my job as, a, as his boss, I go over there, as I say, and I stay with him. He's a big Māori fella, um, so he likes me staying in their house. And they're a non-Christian family, and so the language around their home is as you'd expect from a non-Christian family. And to be honest, I spend most of my time around non-Christian farmers, so language I get used to hearing. And yet Vizane, when I'm in his family or around the farm, it's very important for him that other people don't swear or say bad things about Jesus because I'm there. And so he will frequently... Every time a swear word comes out of their mouths, he'll go, uh-uh, don't you swear, this guy's a Christian and he doesn't like swearing. All the time, doesn't matter whether it's the staff, and now they all apologise to me whenever they come out with a oopsie word, oops, sorry Andrew. We could be dairy company reps, salespeople, anybody who comes in that gate, as soon as they swear, he goes, uh-uh, this guy's a Christian. He doesn't like swearing around his house. You know, huge respect to Zane because he stands up for that. Now, in Zane's household, he has barred the H word that's up on the screen here. Okay, for him and his household, that is a very harmful word. He won't use that word for anything. For him, that is just the most disgusting word in this world, and he will not ever use that word or allow his children to use that word or any of us that are around him. Now, he has gone out of his way to show respect to me by cleaning up the language around me. Now, could you imagine how I would look if I just didn't really bother about his... Because the H word's not, you know, is it that bad? It's not as weird as some of the other words, and I used to use the H word all the time. And yet, if I chose not to clean up my act with the H word, how disrespectful would that look? Design. 
And so now, whenever I take people over there, I warn them, don't say the H word. Well, Zane, 175 kilos, six foot eight of him, will um, correct you pretty quickly. But how, see how respectful or disrespectful that could look? While he's cleaning up the act of many people around me, if I chose not to worry about the H word, how you can lose respect. You know, how do we res gain respect or lose respect at work? Do we turn up on time? Do we work hard? Are we gossips? In our sports teams, do we train hard? Do we put in the extra effort? We can lose or gain respect so easily uh, at our work time and on the sports field. What about when we're shopping? Well, a pet thing that I intensely dislike um, is people leaving the shopping trolley away from where they're supposed to be parked. Now, I don't know for you, but for me, I lose respect for that person as soon as they leave the shopping trolley in a park or somewhere not where it's supposed to be. I look at that person and I think they're lazy. I look at that person and I think they think their time's more valuable than others. I lose respect for someone because they don't put this trolley back where it belongs. And I've taught our kids, they used to have races as kids of how many trolleys they could go and collect and we'll put them back in the right spot. But you know, losing respect or gaining respect can be as simple as putting the shopping trolley away. And the thing is, to the, we're trying here to win the respect of outsiders. You know, the outsiders have got a lot higher level of expectation from us as Christians. All right? They don't expect us to get drunk. So when we get drunk, they lose respect for us. They don't expect us to use poor language. They don't expect us to sleep around. They don't expect us to make poor choices. They have higher expectations for us. And if we fall below these expectations, we will lose their respect. And so for me, this idea of being respectable, it's not about living to their standards, it's about living to the standards that they have for me. And if I fall below those standards, then I will lose their respect and therefore my ability to worship God 360. So in our picture of our cup, I've just got a cup here with a question mark on it because a lot of what we can do to gain or lose respect is pretty much what people see on the outside. So what is a cup of our life what do they see in our life? Do they see stuff that gains respect or do they see stuff that loses respect? This is a cup that I was given in Australia. The little voices in my head keep telling me, get more cows. <laughs> but I think sometimes for my life, my cup or my life says it's all about me. I think it's easy for me to get tied up in my work, either here or in Australia, and I just get so engrossed in sorting out my work and my life and getting that organised that I leave all of my family stuff to Lynette to do, or the kids to do. And I can just see that my life is showing to other people that it's actually just all about me. I think for my kids especially, sometimes I have this on my cup. I don't have the time or the crowns to explain this to you. I'm just, again, so busy that the common thing I can say is, go ask your mother, go ask your mother, go ask your mother. I'm too busy. I don't have the time for you at this time. So is that what my life says? Is that what the others see in my life? So as we look at this cup, we can have it full because we've got depth. We could be united. But if our cup on the outside is showing things that are not respected by others, we can lose the ability to worship. So the question I have for myself, do my workmates, do my staff, do my teammates, do my fellow shoppers respect me? This is a verse that for me has just really, really impacted me. 
Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You know, I've just been so impacted by the fact that I was created to worship God. That's what I was created for. I wasn't created to be the best farm consultant. I wasn't created to buy more cows. I was created to worship God. And I do that by a living sacrifice of my body. It's my 360-degree life. It's not just worshipping God on Sunday or my quiet times. It's worshipping God on Mondays and on Tuesdays at sports practice while I'm doing the shopping to worship God 360 days of this year and 360 degrees of my life. So there's my New Year's resolution, and I've shared it, and you guys can keep me accountable. One of the other things about New Year's resolutions, I think it helps is if you've got other people sharing it with you. And so I want to give you the opportunity this morning that if you want to uh, share this New Year's resolution with me, that I'll just get you to stand up where you are and say, I want to worship God 360. And in doing so, if you just, it's just a commitment between yourself and God. It's a step of courage to stand up. And it's, a, uh, I guess, a, a, a sign that I'm not the only one that wants to be on this uh, track this year. So if you'd like to worship God uh, for the rest, every day of this year, then just stand up and say, I want to worship God 360. No, Ben. I've gone too long. Let's think, because I really worship God through the music. All right, so there's no music, sorry. Um, folks, God sent his only son to die for us. And he did it because he has unconditional love for us. He doesn't care, he doesn't mind the amount of times we fall. He gave his son to lift us up again. And as we make a stand today to worship God 360 days of this year, it's not a stand we should be making out of guilt. God doesn't want that. God wants us to worship him because we want to. And I just pray that for 360 days, every day, every Monday and every Tuesday, and every Wednesday and every Thursday and every Friday and every Saturday and every Sunday that we can worship God with our whole lives. If you'd like to come forward um, after I close in prayer, uh, there'll be a prayer team here that would love to pray with you. And, um, you know, we'd just like to help you on this journey. If you want to come and remind me at any stage in these next 360 days how you're going, then you're more than welcome to do that. And you're more than welcome to ask me how I'm going. Because together we can do this news resolution better than we can on our own. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we do thank you for your love for us. And all of our desires and all of our hopes uh, for this year come because of your sacrifice firstly shown to us. And Lord, as we pray and as we stand here and we make a desire to worship you for every day of this year that's left, for every part of our life, Lord, I just pray that you will give us the courage to make the stand, that you'll give us, make us, give us the courage to just say any words and know that your Holy Spirit in us will multiply those words for your glory.
We commit ourselves to you for these next 360 days. And we thank you for your Jesus and what he's done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.